My name is Kent. Uh, I work for the church here, and I'm excited to have the opportunity to share with you guys tonight, to share from God's Word. We are continuing in our series on in Colossians that we have titled, So That You May Walk With Him. And this is a, a letter written by Paul, written to a church, and his purpose in writing this letter is to remind this church of, of the good news of the gospel. He wants to remind this church of who Jesus is, and he's urging them to walk in holiness because of that. That in light of what God has done, he wants them to walk with God, walk in a manner that is pleasing to him. And so we're continuing in that tonight, and so we'll get to the text here in a moment. But first I want to talk a little bit about the news. And so I was, as I was preparing for tonight... As I was preparing this week, I, I got on Google and just searched to see what's, what's been in the news lately. And what I found, there was some, some strange stuff, some very sad stuff, but I also should admit that it is not very surprising. That is some of the stuff that we might expect. I saw LaShawn McCoy, an NFL football player, who got into an altercation with some off-duty police officers. There was uh, apparently that NASA had banned some organization from putting Jesus, the name Jesus, in their flyers, which is kind of weird. I didn't really understand that. And then there was this, this lion or this tiger that got into a school and attacked six people. Just crazy stuff. And unfortunately, that was some of the, the lighter news that I saw. As I, as I read on, I read uh, about a recent earthquake in Taiwan that has injured hundreds of people and killed many people as well. And then, you know, the, the ongoing crisis in Syria, that there's a, a civil war going on there that has claimed over 250,000 lives, that there are, are millions of refugees that are, are seeking safety, and there are many people still stuck in this country that are in great danger. And I don't say all this to, to, to be a Debbie Downer, to make things very depressing for tonight, but I say that because I think it really illustrates that the world that we are living in is not as it should be, that things are, are out of order, if you will, and that our, our world really is in desperate need of change. In addition to that, I think that this illustrates our own sinful nature, that, that we as people... Deep down inside us, maybe we, we don't feel like we are as bad as uh, some of the people that are committing the crimes in Syria, but we are, are just as selfish and sinful in our own hearts. Just as selfish and sinful. And the, the, the thing is, is that the, the passage that comes before the one we're talking about today, it talks about the, the superiority and the authority of Christ. And, and it talks about how God is reconciling all things under the authority and the rule of Jesus. And Paul is talking about this, this big picture when all things throughout all of creation will be put in order underneath the rule of Christ. And in today's passage, we see that Paul kind of, he zooms in a little bit farther. So he comes from looking at the, the whole world, all of creation. He zooms in just on those at Colossae. He, he wants to speak to them as individuals and, and show them what reconciliation means for them personally. And so Paul talks about God's purpose in reconciliation and he also talks about God's method of reconciliation. And so tonight we just have three verses that we're going to look at. And we're going to look at it in three pieces. It's going to be Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there now. We're going to look at the, the first thing that we will look at is, is the problem of sin. The problem of sin. Secondly, we'll, we'll look at the solution of God. And thirdly, we'll look at our responsibility in this, in this big picture. So number one, the problem of sin. And so if you have your Bibles, look with me now. Looking in chapter one of Colossians, 
verse 21. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. I'll, I'll stop right there. You, who were alienated, hostile in mind, and doing evil deeds. So the problem of sin is that it alienates us from God. It alienates us from God. And now I know that alienate is not a word that we use every day. It's not, not super common in our language, but it has this, this meaning, this sense of, of being isolated, that is separated or, or estranged or foreign to God. And so we've been, we've been separated from God because of sin. And so this is not God's intent in creation. If you've, if you've read the Bible, if you started in Genesis chapter 1, you see that God creates man in his image, in his likeness, and, and man is in relationship with God, in the presence of God, in communion with God. But then disobedience enters the picture, and, and Adam and Eve are cast out from the God. They are, are alienated from God. And this problem of sin is not something that was unique to Adam, but sin and disobedience has been passed down from generation to generation. Each subsequent person in humanity has sinned and disobeyed God. Every one of us has disobeyed God and not acted as we should. And so because of this, the relationship between God and people is, is broken. It has been, been ruptured. Things are not as they are supposed to be. And so because of this, instead of experiencing intimacy and closeness with God, instead we are, we are alienated, estranged, and put off away from him. We've become foreign to God, and this is, and this is a problem. And the reason this happens is Paul describes it here. He says that you're hostile in mind and evil in deeds. That's not a, a very flattering thing to say. I don't know if any of you have ever described somebody this way. Sometimes people ask me about Austin and what he's like. I say, well, he's pretty hostile in mind and evil in deeds. That's just the way he is. No, I love you. I love you, Austin, wherever you're at. But that's not how we would describe people. Paul is very direct, very blunt about how he describes the human situation, humanity apart from God. It, it does not look very good. According to this description, there's really no redeeming quality in mankind apart from God. It's almost as if we're, we're stuck in this state of being evil. Now, I want to, to you guys think about a time when, when maybe you've done something wrong or, or felt guilty about something that you've thought. And kind of, I think sometimes we'll admit that we've, we've maybe acted wrong in some sense, but we tend to misremember things whenever we're guilty. And so we might remember back to something and say, okay, yes, I was definitely did the wrong thing in that situation. But, you know, I had, I had good intentions behind it. I just, I just did the wrong thing in that scenario. Or, or sometimes the, the reverse is true. We'll admit just the opposite. We'll admit to one part. It's like, okay, yes, I was, maybe I was wrong in my thinking, but at least I did the right thing. And what we, we see here is that there's no middle ground when it comes to our own sin problem, that we are corrupted. And it's this, this cyclical nature where one thing leads to the next, because the, the evil mind causes us to do wicked things, and then after we do wicked things, we, we kind of have more of a tendency to think evil thoughts. And so it's just things that both feed into each other, and it gets worse and worse. 
Now, I want you guys, have any of you ever uh, maybe gone four-wheeling or driving a car in like a muddy field after it rains or anything? Has anybody ever done that? Maybe I'm the only one. So it's a, it's a ton of fun. You get to, you know, drive around, do donuts. The car gets incredibly messy. And it's great until the car gets stuck. Until the car gets stuck. So you're stuck in the middle of this muddy field, and you're thinking, oh, crap, how am I going to get out? So your first instinct is, okay, I'm just gonna, I just got to floor it. I just got to floor it to get out. That doesn't help. So the, the wheels spin, and they, they dig you in deeper, and so your car is even more stuck than when you began. So when you're in the mud, you are really stuck in the mud. You need somebody to come and help pull you out. Maybe that's a, a tow rope or, or even digging you out, but it is quite the hassle to try and get out. And, and I say that because I feel that that's the state that we are in apart from God. We're in this state where we, we can't even really begin to help ourselves. We, we kind of understand that, you know, that, that we want to be close to God. We, we kind of understand that there's something wrong with us, but we really can't even begin to understand how to fix ourselves. And I think it's very important for us to understand that this is our state without God. We have to be honest with ourselves about who we are. Because if we aren't, we will be, continue unaware that we're stuck in the mud. We'll continue unaware that we're alienated from God. And, and more than that, we might not be able to tell others that they're in the same situation without God in their lives. And so it's incredibly important for us to understand this problem of sin and that it alienates us from God. Now let's move on to the, to the next verse, and we'll take a look at the solution of God. What does God do in light of this problem? So continuing in verse 2, Paul continuing with this thought, he says, You who were once alienated, and he says, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. The solution of God to our alienation, the solution of God to our separation from him is to reconcile us back. To reconcile us back. And not just to reconcile us, but he does this with a purpose. Now I want to spend a moment here on this idea of reconciliation. We'll get to the purpose in a moment, so just, just hold on to that. But this, this idea of reconciliation, it really has a lot of implications for us. It's really uh, a, a term that carries a lot of meaning. And as we've already talked about tonight, the, the state of the world is not a good one. I think we all had a magic wand. There are, are many things that, that we would change. I think if, we, if I asked for a volunteer to see if we could get somebody to say, hey, will you put up all my, my past sins, all my past thoughts on the screen, that I don't think that we would have any volunteers. We would feel far too much shame to share that in front of everyone. And so I think we, we recognize that we are in desperate need and we need things to be righted. And so that's what the good news is, is that God reconciles us by the death of Jesus. That this is the gospel that we aim to preach every week. We try and say, it, say explicitly every week that the good news is that God reconciles sinners back to himself by the death of Jesus. And we, we see repeated language throughout the New Testament. In, in many places, it, it talks about, you were once this way, 
but now you are this way. So there's a, an old thing that used to be true of you, but now there is something new that is true of you instead. And so even earlier in this chapter in Colossians, it says that you were a part of the darkness of the world, but now you are a part of the kingdom of God. Elsewhere, it talks about us being, being orphans away from God, and now we have been brought into the family of God by the death of Christ. That we were even dead in our sins, but now we have been brought to life in Christ. This is the good news of the gospel, that we are reconciled back to God and made alive in Christ. That's great news, and we should be excited about that. And this idea of reconciliation, so when we think about Jesus saving us from our sins, I think a lot of times we really focus on on the, the guilt that we have from our sin, that we think that Jesus died so we'd be, be free from the guilt or free from the punishment that we are due for our sins. And I think that is, that is true and very important, but if we just focus on that, I think we miss out on the big picture of reconciliation that God is trying to work in our lives. Because this idea of reconciliation carries the sense of, of transformation, of, of renewal and restoration of the entire being. So we're not just set free from our guilt, but we are made new in Christ, that we now experience a, a new existence and where we can relate to God in a new way. So instead of being alienated from God, we are brought near to him, where we can experience intimacy and closeness and a, a peaceful relationship, where there was once hostility and even an opposition in our minds towards God. So it's a a restoration of the complete being in relationship to God. And so City Light U, I want want to ask you guys just the the simple question, have you been reconciled to God? Have you been been reconciled? Have you recognized that without God you're stuck in the mud? That there's there's nothing that you could do to, to really try and free yourselves but that you're stuck in the mud? And have you believed that Jesus died for you so that you could be reconciled to God? And I would, I would ask you, why, why haven't you? Why haven't you? It's as, as simple as, as saying yes to what God has done. It's a, a simple belief in Jesus and that he died for you. And, and if you have been reconciled to God, I would ask you, how often do you think about that? How often do you remember the good news of the gospel? Because as people, we're really, really bad at remembering things. If somebody asks you what you did last week, you might be able to name two or three things. So we need to remind ourselves often of the gospel. We need to remind ourselves of, of who we once were, that we were, we were dead, that we were in darkness away from God. But now that we are in Christ, we are alive, made new, and brought into the kingdom of God. And it's as we remember this, this good news, that we are, we are encouraged in our weaknesses, that we are, we are encouraged to, to push forward and pursue holiness. And, and that's the end that, that Paul talks about here, that, that reconciliation points forward to a, a future state. It points forward to us being holy and blameless presented before God. That there's an, an end goal that God has in mind when he brings us back to himself. And I believe it's an attractive end, one that ought to excite us. I think too often we, we run to God because we are afraid of hell. 
But what God has promised to give us is far greater than that. That through Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are even formed into the likeness of Christ. That our whole image, who we are, is transformed so that we can be like Jesus himself. That we can be like Jesus himself. And that we would be, be fully restored to be the way that God designed us to be. So we'd be a holy people before God and a holy people with God. Now, as I read this, it kind of introduced a, a tension in my mind, and this idea that we are, we are reconciled to God. And he says to do, he did that to make us holy and blameless and above reproach. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I, I know I'm reconciled to God, but I'm, I'm not holy. I'm not blameless. And so I kind of feel like there's something going on here. And so I want to illustrate this for us using this whiteboard. I'll try it with my best handwriting. I'm not a very good uh, writer here, so hopefully you can read it. So I feel like Paul introduces maybe, maybe two states here, that there's one state that's the, the present state that we exist in now, and then the other state that we are, we are moving towards, that's the, the end goal. And so we have this bottom line right here that we are reconciled. So you might call this, you know, your, your moment of salvation that you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. And then up here, we'll have holy. That God desires to make us holy. And so we know that in Christ we are brought here reconciled. But I think we can all admit that none of us are, are perfect and holy and that we would never be able to stand before God even now and say, God, I'm I'm perfect, like I'm, I'm here, I'm blameless and ready to be with you. And so I want to put this up here, and we'll get to this, this space in the middle here in just a little bit. So if you'll, you'll bear with me, we'll, we'll move on to our, our last verse here and talk about our responsibility, our responsibility in light of what God has done. So Paul continues his thought. He says, You who are alienated have been reconciled, will be holy, if you indeed continue in the faith. Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So it kind of, it kind of starts off strange. You know, he's talked about all these great things and things that we get excited about, and then he says, if. It's like he's given us this, this great promise, and he says, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. This promise is yours if, and he's introduced a condition here, and I'll admit that the first time I read this, I was kind of like, okay, that's uh, you know, not what I was looking for next. That's not maybe super encouraging. And I think at first read, we might feel like this, this introduces some, some doubt into our minds or maybe some uncertainty, like, well, am I, am I really secure in Christ? You know, what is it that I need to, to keep doing so that I can be sure that I am saved, to be sure that I have eternal life? However, I think if we, if we think a little bit harder, we'll see that maybe we shouldn't be as frightened by this text as it might seem. And first, I think what we see here is that, that Paul is, is laying out some marks that distinguish between genuine faith and counterfeit faith. Genuine faith and counterfeit faith. So I'd say, we'll say we have two people, and both of them, you know, maybe come to City Light U on a night, and they both get really excited. They say, yes. This, this news of the gospel I wanted. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died to reconcile me to God. And they both get really involved in, in Bible study right away. They, you know, they're praying. They're very excited about the things that are going on. And so at first glance, both seem to be showing fruits of the gospel. They both seem to be headed in the right direction. But over time, 
What happens, and I've seen this happen to, to friends of mine in high school and college, is that, that life gets hard, or different circumstances rise up, and, and this, this counterfeit faith begins to, to run into some rocky waters. And as, as the difficulties of life press down, they decide that it's not worth it. You know what? I actually, I actually don't believe that. I'm, I'm out. I'm out. You may, you may have seen that before. Somebody who, who initially showed a great enthusiasm for the gospel and has since walked away completely from the faith. And, and we see this illustration by, by Jesus himself. He uses it in the, the parable of the sower and the seed. He talks about some rocky soil, and he talks about good soil. And they, their seed falls on both of them, and, and plants begin to grow up. But when the sun comes out, the plant that was in the rocky soil, it withers and fades away. But the plant that was in the good soil perseveres. And so over time, genuine faith will always reveal itself. It's not necessarily this high feeling of spirituality or, or feeling super close to God, but it's the, the patient endurance. It's the faith from that day-to-day life that, that is genuine faith. And though it may, may waver and it may struggle from time to time, it will always endure. And the second thing I want us to note here is that, that Paul is actually not introducing any sort of doubt in this passage, that there's actually a, a vote of confidence from him. And, and as I was studying for this, one of the, the scholars actually even, he, he paraphrased it. So that, that, that phrase where it says, if you continue in the faith, he would paraphrase it and say it this way, that at any rate, if you stand firm in the faith, and I'm sure that you will. He says, I'm sure that you will. Paul is confident that the gospel that has begun to produce fruit in the Colossians is going to continue to do so. And so I don't think we should read this passage with, with apprehension, with, with doubt or any sort of fear, but rather we, we should take it for what it is, which is uh, meant to be an encouragement. And so I'm not saying that we don't need to take this seriously because we do, and I think what Paul is pointing to is a real responsibility on our part to, to work out the gifts that God has given us. That God has given us the Holy Spirit that we might grow in holiness and, and it is our responsibility to, to work that out and, and grow into that. That this, is this cooperative effort uh, by the means that God has given us to, to continue to move down the road from this, from this line of reconciled up to the line of holiness, that God has given us a task to, to grow in holiness in this life. But not that we would ever become perfect or even a completed product, but that we realize that we are in root, that we are in process of becoming holier, to be holy, blameless, and above reproach. Now, in light of this thing, I think that there are two things that Paul is calling us to in this passage, that he's, he's urging the Colossians to do and that I would hope that we as a ministry would do as well. And the first thing is to, that we would build and invest in our faith that we would build and invest in our faith. Paul uses the language of being stable and steadfast, and it, and it kind of brings out this image of a building, a building that is stable and secure. A building that's stable and secure. And we know that a secure building first starts with a, a solid foundation, a foundation that won't shift. And that foundation for us is, is Christ. We know that Christ is a cornerstone on which God is building his church. And so we have a secure foundation, but additionally... When, when building something, there's always great attention and, and care that goes in to make sure that the structure is sturdy. And so I ask you guys, are you investing in your faith wisely? 
Are you investing in your faith wisely? Because without proper care, our faith will, will grow weak and frail. You know, are you, are you committed to, to reading your Bible? Even when you don't feel like, are you committing to read your Bible? Because it's through the Word of God that we grow in our knowledge of God. And, and through that, we are encouraged and strengthened in our faith. Are you, are you a part of, of community, whether that's being here on Tuesday nights or, or even going to city groups during the week? Because it is through community that we are, are free to be weak and vulnerable, that we're able to be encouraged by the community of God, and ultimately our, our faith is strengthened in that. Are you persistent in prayer? Do you, do you get before God and lay out your heart in front of him? Because it's, it's through prayer that we connect with the heart of God and that God shapes us and speaks to us so that our faith might be strengthened. And, and are you willing to serve? Are you willing to, to humble yourselves and serve someone else? Because it's in that humility that we see how weak we are that increases our dependence on God and, and thus strengthens our faith. And so are we working to, to strengthen our faith and grow in holiness. And so back to the whiteboard now, because I think this is our task in between being reconciled and growing in holiness, that, that God has given us the means to grow in holiness. And so maybe, you know, you first come to Christ and there's a lot of excitement. And so you grow very quickly in holiness and things are going well, but then, then something happens in life. Maybe it's the, the death of a family member. You get distracted, busy with school, and you, you fall back down a little bit. But then you, you get back up and you continue to grow and Maybe you fall again and you end up in points in your life where you feel like you're just growing very, very slow. You feel like you're, you're plateaued. But I believe that this is the work that God would call us to do, that we would grow in holiness by investing in the things that God has called us to invest in. Now, the second thing that I think Paul says here is, um, that, and I think I, is the most important thing that he says here, the most important thing from the passage is he urges the Colossians to remain focused on the gospel, to remain focused on the message of the gospel, that that would be the one thing that they they study, the one thing that they hold dear and near to their hearts would be the message of the gospel, that Christ has reconciled us by his death to God. He wants them to, to not shift from the hope of the gospel city like you, would we be a community that has a laser-sharp focus on the gospel? Would that be the one thing that we know well and that we hold dear to our hearts? Because there are so many things in our lives that threaten to, to take our attention away from that, that, that promise us something better. They, they exist as false hopes and are always there calling for our attention. They're, they're very, very persist, persistent and very real. Too many times we, we think that relationships can replace the hope of the gospel, and so we invest time, effort, and energy into those things, and only to find out that it wasn't really worth it. We think careers or money or even just having a good time and having a life that's enjoyable, we put our hope in those things, and we, we forget about the hope of the gospel. And it's never a, a quick falling away. Maybe sometimes it is. But we think, okay, that's never going to happen to me. I'm never going you know, to fall away from the faith. But it always starts with a small compromise. You know, maybe like, I don't know if I, if I really believe what the Bible says about sexuality. You know, maybe that's a bit outdated. And, 
you know, this girl is very attractive or this guy is very attractive, and maybe it's worth it just to, to run after that for a little while, and then I'll, I'll come back later. But the, the, each step you take away, the further you get away from the truth of the gospel, and you start to take one step after another, and you get so far away that you don't even remember what you believed in the first place. You can get to the point where you, you wonder, you know, is God, is God even real? You know, all that stuff. I can't believe I used to believe in that because you lost sight of the gospel. City like you, would we remember the hope of the gospel? Now, I want to bring us to a close by, by finishing this, this picture on the whiteboard because we spend our lives in this, in this area here where we're trying to, to grow in holiness. And, you know, maybe you make it this far and then you die. Whoops, you didn't quite make it. You, you started here, you wanted to be here, but you died right here. You know you're, you're, you're out of luck, right? And I think that's, that's one of the beautiful messages of hope in the gospel is God's faithfulness. Philippians 1.6 says that, I believe that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That God brings us to completion. He takes us from this point to this point. God brings us to this holy standing to be blameless and perfect before him. The work that he began at reconciliation, he is faithful to finish and bring us to be holy and blameless and complete before him. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. So I want to, um, I want to end by, by reading uh, a section from 1 Corinthians 15. If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn there because I think this, this pictures well what we've been talking about tonight. This, this pictures well the, the hope of the gospel that Paul is illustrating here. So it's going to be beginning in, in, in verse 51. and It's this beautiful passage in, in 1 Corinthians that if you've never read it, I would encourage you to do so. So Paul lays out in great detail the gospel. He says it's of first importance, and he, he spends about 60 verses just describing this. And this is his, his ending to it, his ending to the hope of the gospel. Beginning in first, verse 51, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, that is, we, we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. City like you, would we be encouraged by this? Would we never shift from the truth of the gospel, the magnificence and the promise of our transformation in Christ that will be completed because God is faithful? Would we remember that, that Christ died to reconcile us to God? And that in light of that, would we be persistent in growing in our faith because we know that God is faithful to us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
we are, are so grateful for who you are. Father, we confess that oftentimes we, we doubt your goodness, that we doubt that you have a plan, we doubt that you're working, Lord. But we thank you for, for your graciousness in giving us your word, for your graciousness in giving us community, and that we can come to you in prayer and be reminded that you are working, that you are active in our lives. Lord, we thank you that you are, are gracious to invite us and to participate in the work that you are doing, Lord. We thank you that we are, we are not just passive recipients of your great grace, Lord, but you have invited us to be active and growing in holiness, that we would, we would grow in our, our joy and our knowledge of you, Lord, and that we would spread that to others as well. And so we thank you for, for Christ. We thank you for giving your son to die on the cross that by his shed blood that we would be reconciled to you, that we would be made new. And we thank you for the promise that one day we will be completely transformed and made new before you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.